This bonus series was launched in cooperation with Six Swiss Exchange. It focuses on the companies that completed the first Sparks IPO Academy course, a six-month fast-track IPO training program designed for high-potential scale-ups. We were lucky that uh, we actually founded the company into this crisis because uh, there were suddenly excellent talents available that uh, otherwise would go to the big companies. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Manuel, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Looking forward to it. You are the co-founder and CEO at Optotune, a company which develops optical components that allow customers around the globe to innovate. Before we talk about your company and how you actually grew from startup to SME, I want to start with your personal background. You hold a PhD in nanotechnology from the ETH in Zurich, but you also studied business at the Imperial College in London. So that's a very strong combination. Why did you decide to combine both of them? Uh, actually, I started out as an engineer, uh, but uh, at, uh, when I was in the first semester at ETH, uh, one of the professors asked, uh, so who of you wants to found a company? And uh, that's actually when it got triggered that uh, I would like to be an entrepreneur. And uh, I realized that uh, you know engineering is not everything. Mm-hmm. So it's a great background, but uh, you also need to, to actually understand how business uh, works and uh, that's where I decided that uh, I would like to also get uh, the business part of the education. And uh, that was uh, a great choice because uh, I could have fun with the engineering right. and uh, learn the other necessary stuff. Yeah, that's a very strong combination because often they say you need someone who can build and someone who can sell. Yes. If you can do both yourself, that's incredible, like yes. super, super strong. But I think I'm better in selling than building. Okay, nowadays. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> but where does that entrepreneurial drive come from? You said your professor at ETH asked you about that. Yes, like, uh-huh. did he sort of put that, like, plant that seed, or where does that entrepreneurial drive come from in you? I think uh, he triggered it, but I think it was always there. So I was uh, always fascinated about new ideas and. Uh, you know, how you can do things better. And uh, it's actually still nowadays. I mean, Optitune is my baby and uh, we have, uh, you know, many cool products. But uh, I think every week there is another idea that uh, comes to my mind like, oh, you could do this better, you could do that better. <laughs> so it's uh, something that I think uh, when I was already young, I've always seen things to improve. So it's your in, in your DNA, so to exactly, speak. Yes. Yeah. Be careful, people will contact you now to ask for business ideas. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I'm happy to share some of them, yes. Fantastic. But then your career start was actually with Avalon and ABB, where yeah. you first worked as engineer, before then switching gears and mm-hmm. starting your entrepreneurial yes. journey. Yes. Why was that the, the right start for you, not starting a company right after your studies? I mean, uh, I actually did it start Optitude after my PhD, so it was uh, in between. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually good just to see, you know, how organizations are working and, uh, you know, how R&D is done in other uh, companies. Although I have to say, uh, I didn't stick around too long. So <laughs> I already felt there that I, actually I need to have a more dynamic environment and uh, to really, you know, 
uh, shape things from not just on the engineering side, but actually overall. You exactly knew where you were going. So then in 2008, you actually founded Optatune yes. together with two additional co-founders. Yes. Where do you actually meet them, David and Mark? So Mark I actually knew from uh, my degree at ETH. Mm -hmm. So he also studied electrical engineering. And uh, I always realized that he is a smart guy and uh, actually is very capable of uh, selling things. So uh, I just thought like uh, when I found a company, then I'm going to contact him. So mm -hmm. he was never like a closest friend, but uh, uh, I had good relation with him. Yeah. And uh, David actually was um, a student uh, in my group where I did my PhD. And uh, there was a good uh, opportunity to have someone that really loves technology and is excellent at technology. So, so, so it's really the university connection that Correct, brought yes. the three of yes, you together. Yes. Can you also talk a bit how the idea of Optotune came about? How, where, where did you start? How did you even come up with the idea of starting the company? So actually, I mean, I was very lucky that... Uh, I had a professor that was very open-minded. So when I was looking for a PhD, I didn't want to do some research that ends up uh, in a drawer, but uh, mm -hmm. I actually wanted to create something. And uh, I was very uh, lucky that uh, my professor accepted my proposal. So I told him, I join your group and uh, you have to give me two months to find my own topic. If I find something, then uh, I'm allowed to do this. Otherwise, I will do what you propose. And uh, there, I think uh, I went through like many, many different ideas mm -hmm. till actually we realized that, uh, you know, in the field of photonics, there's actually still quite some gap of uh, how to control light, how to shape light. And uh, he found the idea interesting enough that uh, I could do my PhD on this. That's quite a cool deal. Absolutely. How did you get interested in that field? Was that something that also, you know, kept you busy for a longer time before doing your PhD? I mean, I focus on on optics when I did my uh, my master's degree, so I was always fascinated about this, and uh, you know that's actually where uh, I think uh, the ideas came from. So it's uh, I mean, light is everything. You know, if you wouldn't have light, uh, I wouldn't see you. <laughs> I wouldn't have a mobile phone <laughs> that I could uh, uh, talk to the other side of the world. So yeah. it's uh, for me, it's a fascinating field, and still, no one knows what it is. Th that's right. crazy if so, you think about yes, it, right? Exactly, After yes. all these years on planet Earth, we yes. still don't really know that much about right, it. Yes. When you actually started Optitude, it was in 2008, yes. right when the financial crisis was hitting, basically. Yes. Was that making things more difficult or more challenging for you in any way to get started? No, because, uh, I mean, we were lucky that uh, we actually founded the company into this crisis because... Uh, there were suddenly excellent talents available that uh, yeah. otherwise would go to the big companies. So for us, uh, I consider this as actually as a good timing to start exactly when the crisis hit. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you would have started three years earlier, then it would have been more difficult. But, you know, we were at the beginning still uh, looking at developing products. Uh, so we were not really on the market. So it was not hitting us that uh, we couldn't sell as much right. as uh, you otherwise would sell in a good economy. I love that perspective because now if you look at the current environment, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah. Stock markets plummeting, everybody talking about inflation, recessions coming in. That might be another very good time to think about starting a company Correct, yeah. and hire the best people who might not get snacked away by the big corporates. Correct, yes, yes. 
Let's so that's also... actually one thing that uh, I also, I mean, I'm not looking forward to recessions coming sure. as a company, but I'm looking forward to actually getting more talent. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like that perspective. Yes. Yeah. Let's also talk about your technology, your core technology behind the company. Yeah. With what did you actually start out and how has this evolved over time? So the idea was actually developed uh, at ETH. So you basically have a lens that is changing the shape, like mm -hmm. the lens in your eye. And uh, traditionally, when you need to focus something, you actually need to move uh, rigid lenses back and forth. And uh, by moving these glass lenses, uh, you need a complex actuator, so a motor that is moving this. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to travel a lot, and uh, our lenses uh, need only to change a little bit. So we can make the whole systems much simpler by actually integrating the focusing function into this component. And uh, that's actually something, you know, where you can... Uh, use it in multiple applications. I mean, uh, we have uh, applications from like machine vision. So everywhere where you have a camera that is looking at something, for mm -hmm. example, when you buy something on Amazon, it's very likely that uh, the package will have been looked at by our lens. Wow. Uh, but also, you know, this mobile phone, for example, has our lens inside so that you can actually combine uh, macro focusing mm -hmm. and uh, with uh, other features of the cameras. So it's actually a very broad spectrum of, uh, you know, applications, machine vision, medical applications, so everything related to the eye. Wow. Uh, all the way uh, to uh, very fancy applications like uh, laser processing, where you have uh, like strong lasers that are cutting stuff. Yeah. And you've actually been quoted before saying that you could only sell a product and not just a, a technology. Yeah. And that is, you know, coming out of ETH, that can be a big challenge to overcome, right? You have a revolutionary technology, but how do you actually make that sellable? How do you create a product around that? How do you solve that problem? I still strongly, strongly believe in this, even more than maybe when I said this a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, uh, this is the big challenge that, uh, you know, a technology is uh, something that maybe some big companies uh, pays some money for you, you know, to do some research. But, um, I mean, everyone at the end needs to solve a problem. And uh, in our case, uh, you can only solve it uh, when you really have a product that actually then solves uh, the, their problem. So, right. um, I mean, technology is the fundamentals, but uh, I actually see it that uh, we always approach it uh, like that. We have a problem that uh, we learn from the customers. We are very open-minded with respect to technology. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter, you know, if we have invested like years of research in a certain technology, we always look at everything and then f uh, figure out how can we solve it the most simple way, mm -hmm. uh, independent of the technology, because uh, then we have actually the right solution. And uh, of course we need technology for this, but uh, the technology is at the end uh, just a tool to actually solve a problem. Yeah. And, and this is something that, uh, you know, often, especially when you're coming from ETH, from research, you think like, oh, I have a cool material, I have a cool whatever technology, yeah. but then you're missing actually the, what you can really use it for. And uh, if you don't find something that uh, you can use it for, no one will actually buy it. Exactly. So it's important to find the right technology for the problem that you yeah. want to tackle, yeah. yes. but not a technology looking for a problem to solve, yeah. right? And actually, you know, in our history, uh, at ETH, uh, we built the first uh, tunable lenses using artificial muscles. 
-hmm. It's a really interesting technology uh, where you basically have like a polymer material and you squeeze it like a, a muscle and uh, you can get a large deformation. But uh, we actually realized uh, in the first half a year of our uh, the company that uh, tunable lenses is great, but uh, building tunable lenses with this material is not the right choice mm -hmm. because uh, the whole electronics and everything that you need to control this uh, was a big thing. So the lens was small, but the electronics was big. Yeah. So it was actually not a product. And uh, we actually switched for the first product technology, uh, but the idea remained the same. So to one degree, you say don't overestimate the technological factor because you need to solve a problem. At the same time, technology is also one of your key differentiators in the market because you have a very advanced technology compared to your competitors, right? Yes, exactly. So it's a bit like... Uh, not an easy balance to strike for sometimes, I can imagine. Yes, and uh, I think you have to, you know, in a product normally you have multiple technologies mm -hmm. and sometimes you have to give up on some part of uh, or take another technology, uh, but combine it with uh, something unique. I mean, uh, and we have the unique things. I mean, uh, in the last 14 years we have developed uh, technologies uh, that, uh, you know, allow us uh, to actually build the lenses in quality and prices uh, that no one else can do. Wow. And uh, so from that point of view, yes, technology is important, but uh, you shouldn't be focused on specific technology when you try to solve a problem. Yeah. You will get at the end your technological advantage uh, when you are solving the problem. I love that because that's a statement that I would have not expected from a technical ETH founder, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that's a very refreshing take. Let's talk about what you said before, that you have so many different broad applications of yes. your technology, of your products, basically. Yes. How do you balance that? Because I can imagine to sell to all these different use cases, that can be very challenging as well. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing, but also the curse that right. we have. I mean, uh, you know, we can uh, serve uh, like space industry all the way to consumer applications, medical. Yeah. And um, I mean, the big challenge for us uh, is to focus. I mean, we build focused tunable lenses, but we still have to focus <laughs> as a company. And um, I mean, the way how we approached is uh, was um, for, when we started out, uh, many of the applications were not technically feasible mm -hmm. because the quality was not right or the price was not there. The processes for manufacturing uh, were not in place. Right. So at the beginning, it was easier because uh, we could actually, you know, only serve a few applications. Yeah. So there we basically were forced by technology and processes to focus on something. Now the technology is so advanced that we can actually serve almost all the uh, markets. And uh, what we always think about is, uh, you know, where do we really add value? And uh, mm -hmm. this is a, you know, statement that everyone says, oh, you have to add value. Right. But um, we approach it from the technical point of view, where we actually look at, so this is an application, how would we solve it otherwise? What are alternative te technologies? And when we realize that there is no technology that we can uh, see, then uh, we believe that that's a good application. Because, uh, you know, be it that we are just faster in focusing and the mechanical systems would be so uh, big that uh, it's not economical. Mm -hmm. and uh, so we try to focus on those things. And uh, of course, it's also like we bootstrapped our way uh, for a very long time. So mm -hmm. at the beginning, you know, you cannot go into the 
mobile phone market. It's just impossible because right. uh, uh, you would need to invest so much money to develop the technology that uh, you actually run out of money before you have the technology ready. Yeah. So we focused on smaller applications uh, where we knew, okay, we can serve it, we have a value. And uh, then, uh, you know, from that, uh, we basically started to develop then the next one. And that's actually still the biggest challenge. I mean, even nowadays, there are so many options where we can go into. And uh, it's always the hardest discussion because as a <laughs> technology <laughs> person, you're like, oh, you know, these are all cool applications yeah, and course. it's all great. But, uh, you know, to cut it down then, uh, to like the 10 projects uh, that uh, we want to do and we, we believe in, mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, not so easy. But uh, that's something that uh, we have to do. And uh, I mean, it's a lot of discussion that is uh, ongoing. And I think now we are much more structured than at the beginning. I mean, yeah. at the beginning, uh, you know, we are, were a little bit naive and we were like also lucky that, uh, you know, we selected a few markets that were right. Uh, nowadays, it's much more. We have much more knowledge and uh, understanding, also. So, I mean, uh, you learn as time progresses. <laughs> Absolutely, hopefully. But I think that's a very interesting learning to grow from startup to SME as you are today. That at the beginning, there was sort of a natural selection that forced the focus on you due to economic reasons, technology reasons. And now as you grew and you ha you are successful, you have so many more options available that you need to force yourself to focus. I think that's a really interesting learning to, yeah. to take away. Yeah. Talking about that growth, you know, from startup to 250 employee SME, mm -hmm. um, what did you actually also do to manage that growth? I think one key part are, of course, your employees yeah. and one thing that I also think you mentioned somewhere else before talking to us is that you wanted to keep that entrepreneurial spirit within the company. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? Because that's one of the biggest challenges to solve internally. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, I think it's something uh, related to the core values and, uh, you know, who we are as mm -hmm. a company. I mean, one of our core values is uh, um, pioneership. So we don't want to be the company that is copying things. And, um, I think I underestimated these core values and, you know, the cultural things at the beginning, because at the beginning you're only focusing on like, okay, we have to, this product, we have the timeline, we have to get it out. And, uh, you know, the, there is uh, the product introduction we have to manage and all these things. As we grow, uh, I mean, it is uh, something very critical and not easy to actually infuse uh, to all the people, you know, to have this spirit because, uh, I mean, this year, I think we hired like 80 people. So, you know, they come from very different backgrounds mm -hmm. and uh, that uh, they understand, you know, that, uh, I mean, we want to have uh, leading technologies and it's okay to fail and it's okay when, uh, you know, you go down a path and uh, then uh, at the end you realize it was the wrong path to turn around and uh, to take the right path. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is something that uh, at the end, I think, uh, has to be lived from the top. Uh, but it actually also has to be lived by like the leaders that we have in the company. Right. And that's only possible by actually having some rules and uh, setting some rules. You know, how do we interact? Uh, what is the kind of people that we are looking for? And I think uh, they're really reflected in our core values. Uh, uh, for example, um, positive mindset is one thing. And mm -hmm. uh, I strongly believe in this, uh, you know, that uh, at the end, uh, you are only able to solve challenges when you think positive and uh, you address a, a challenge uh, with a positive mindset. 
you can be as smart as you want if you believe that it will not work it uh, for sure will not work it will become a self-fulfilling exactly. prophecy right yeah. of course you screen people when you do the recruiting process the hiring process you screen them for these core values to see if there's a good fit what happens if you suddenly realize that there is not a good fit when you start working together if someone is just not showing this positive mindset this yeah. positive attitude uh, then it's not a fit for the company i mean uh, if uh, the core values are no no fit and uh, you don't see this all the time in the interviews because uh, you sure. know in the interviews you have uh, not enough time to actually really get to know someone yeah. uh, then uh, you know people will not get happy and uh, it's normally you know it's from both sides that we realize that uh, it actually doesn't work uh, for the person that is working for us but also for the company right so at the end uh, i think in this situation you know you just have to be fair and open discuss about it and uh, say look uh, we think it's not a fit and uh, i mean at the end you know uh, my personal motivation is uh, to create uh, good jobs where people like to work mm. and uh, if you are not a cultural fit you will never be able to actually be happy right yeah yes. i also strongly believe in that and there i wonder and i'm really curious to see what what you say the core values is that just a fit or not a fit or is that something that people can also develop over time so meaning right now they might not have this positive attitude yes. but is that something that they can develop develop into or is it just you have it or you don't have it it's more like black and white i think uh, 10 years ago i would have said uh, people can develop into it mm -hmm. uh, by now i think uh, you have it or you don't well uh, i mean uh, you can develop professionally, yep. but I think, uh, you know, this is uh, really core values that uh, come, I think, from uh, how you were raised up and uh, just, uh, yep. you know, how you're deeply wired. And I think this is extremely difficult to change. I mean, of course, it's not always exactly black or white. I sure, mean, uh, yeah. I'm also sometimes uh, uh, negative and think like, oh, you know, why did this happen <laughs> or something like that? But, yeah. uh, you know, then you switch again and uh, you're like, okay, it happened because of a good reason or something yeah. like that. So, of course, you know, not everyone um, can always be, but I think it's a fundamental mm -hmm. thing that, uh, I mean, another core value is respect. And uh, I think, you know, if you don't have respect and uh, it's fundamentally important to you, then uh, it's very difficult to change. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I just let that stand that way. I mean... That's a very good statement to reflect upon if you're running your own company, yes, I think. Yes, yes. Another thing I'm interested in is your company structure. So, of course, you know, when you're a startup, you work with your founders. Everybody does everything a bit, right? You're just starting out. Today, SME focus and 250 employees. How does your structure look like? I mean, you got to delegate. You got to establish a leadership team and managers. Yeah. How does the structure of your company look like today? So before going to the structure, I think, uh, you know, as you grow, one of the key jobs that you have uh, as a CEO or as a founder is uh, to learn to let go. It's, uh, I mean, at the beginning, you do everything. So I did HR, I did uh, legal contracts, I was part of uh, engineering. So at the end, you know, it was uh, lots of uh, inputs that you could give. Uh, by now, I mean, uh, our structure is, um, I would say, organized like most of the technology companies. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think the difference is that uh, we have a big emphasis on HR. So yeah. for us, people are important and, uh, you know, our HR leader is also part of the management team, mm-hmm. uh, which is not always the case in uh, all the companies, but um, I believe that is important. But otherwise, we are structured uh, like marketing and sales. Uh, 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 we have uh, R&D, we have... Uh, someone that is uh, actually responsible for technology. Mm-hmm. So we split uh, uh, product development and the really exploratory things. Wow. And okay. uh, then operations uh, and uh, finance and admin. So it's quite uh, uh, classical in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, what is really critical is that, uh, you know, you structure, you make sure that people understand what is their responsibility mm-hmm. and uh, that they take the responsibility. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I had to learn a lot, uh, you know, of basically, uh, yeah, giving away and, uh, you know, as I said, le- learn to let go and uh, have other people uh, take responsibility. I mean, mm-hmm. I thought uh, I was doing a great HR till uh, our HR person came. <laughs> And she really showed me, you know, what is a good HR. And uh, that's actually also fascinating that, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, how to get the best out of the people, how to uh, work with the team, how to, you know, motivate the team and uh, actually have them come up with ideas. Still, by heart, I'm an engineer. So uh, I still love to think about some technical stuff and, uh, you know, to also give... uh, uh, guidance uh, just from the experience because you know we have uh, lots of uh, young engineers and uh, I mean after 14 years hopefully I have seen many many things that they just didn't have the chance to see. That sounds like a beautiful combination where you can follow your passion and also you know build a successful company in the end. One thing I was you know surprised about you purposefully call yourself SME you know you say yes. we are not a startup anymore we are an SME why was that so purposefully chosen by you? Because traditionally, you know, you would see the startup raising a lot of money and then striving for an IPO or an exit. Yes. Why was that not the path that you said was the right one for you and you purposefully said, hey, we do want to be called SME because we, we don't want to be the startup anymore? I think after 14 years, you're no more <laughs> a startup in a classical way, hopefully. Right. No, I mean, uh, we actually called uh, ourselves quite early, like growth company. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, we are the unique supplier of uh, systems where our customers make like hundreds of millions of revenue. So if we don't ship, they cannot sell. And, uh, you know, a startup uh, is something that has a good reputation and a bad uh, (laughs) reputation. I mean, uh, for some of these companies, you know, uh, if you say, oh, we are a startup, uh, then they're like, yeah, I don't want to rely on you for my core business. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we quickly actually started to at least introduce ourselves to the um, to our customers uh, as a SME. Uh, but uh, I still think, you know, that the mindset uh, in the company is a mindset of a startup. So we have so many cool ideas and so many new projects that are still, uh, you know, in the making. And, uh, I've, you know, what I love is uh, when actually, you know, the engineers... Uh, come out of a meeting and, uh, you know, they have the shiny eyes and they're, they're really <laughs> excited about something uh, that yeah. is coming up or, uh, you know, a project that we do with a customer. And uh, so I think, you know, 
it's uh, more towards our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, internally, I think we still have the spirit of a startup. So you have like many different startups with all the different projects that you run and the ideas Correct, that you yes, have yes, under yes. the roof of an SME. Yeah, exactly. So yes. to speak, yeah. yeah. And this is actually, you know, uh, one thing that uh, one of our board members always says, uh, you know, opportunity is like a kitchen mm-hmm. and uh, there are many new things that are brewing. And, uh, you know, maybe some of these uh, things that we are cooking will fly. And uh, that's actually the way how it is. And it's not so easy to manage because, uh, you know, our development cycles are quite long. Mm -hmm. So when we have a new idea to real revenue might take like seven years. So, you know, we have uh, things that are cooking where we know, okay, in seven years, if this is working, uh, there's a huge uh, additional opportunity. But still, you know, we have to solve today's problem. We have to sell today. We have customers that uh, need our products uh, now. So to manage this, uh, it's interesting, but uh, sometimes also challenging. Yeah, it sounds like a bet where the stakes are a bit higher because the reward will only show so much later, right? Correct, yes. Yes, exactly, yes. I also want to talk about your production. You actually do your production here locally in Mm -hmm. Dietikon in Zurich. And... On the other hand, you have international sales, like you have clients all over the world, especially also in Asia. Yes. How do you balance that? Because that can also lead to longer shipping times or whatsoever. I can imagine that this is a challenging setup by itself to have these geographical distances. Yes. Um, the good thing is that our components are small. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, yeah. some of the products, you know, it's like a, a pellet uh, has a million components. So it is not so uh, difficult. I mean, we have uh, manufacturing in Switzerland and in Slovakia. And uh, I mean, the Slovakian side helps us to be competitive in certain ways uh, against Asian companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, I believe that, you know, to be successful from Europe, you need to have unique engineering. So, and uh, this is, you know, where I think we differ as a company from others. I mean, we have a very large uh, number of engineers compared to the size of the company. And um, this is, comes also from my belief uh, that, uh, you know, we have to engineer smarter. We have to make products with less components solving the same problem as uh, our Asian friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is uh, where we actually succeed. And I'm very proud of the engineering team that, uh, you know, we have some products uh, where we are in competition with uh, other companies and uh, we just managed to make a much nicer design and like that we can still manufacture here in uh, Slovakia and don't have to go to Asia or Vietnam or China or something right. like that. Yes. Does it also has, have advantages to have the production here in Europe in terms of maybe quality but also the speed from you know the engineers that you have here in Switzerland to actually developing the product? Yeah, I think it's uh, very important that the engineers see production because, uh, you know, at the end, a good product uh, is not something that is shiny and uh, looks nice. A good product is something that uh, fulfills what the customer needs and not more, um, that is manufacturable in volumes and uh, that achieves a good price. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, the learnings, you know, of actually having to solve some uh, problems in in the factory, is extremely important for next generation because, uh, you know, if you don't have this and if you 
outsource everything, uh, especially when it's in Asia, it's also difficult to get there. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the engineers uh, lose these learnings and, uh, you know, lose the pain that uh, if the engineer designs something badly, then, uh, you know, they suffer. They have to fix it here. Right. So next time, for sure, they will no more design it in, <laughs> in such a way, but uh, yeah. they will make sure that it's actually working well. So yeah, the closest is really important to have short feedback loops and yes. build great products in sure. the end. Yes. Before we were talking about going IPO, you know, from a startup perspective, yes. but you can actually also do that as an SME. Yes. You recently participated in the Swiss Stock Exchange training program called the Sparks IPO Academy. Mm-hmm. So this, of course, prepares companies to go public. Yes. And first of all, I want to know what actually motivated you to participate in this program? I mean, uh, I learned about it, and I think it's a good learning experience. It was mm-hmm. an excellent learning experience, uh, just to see, you know, what it actually means, uh, how you have to prepare your company to do something like that. And uh, I think, you know, I mean, I learned many things of, you know, what is the interaction uh, between the banks, the investors, uh, also legal aspects. Oh yeah, which is actually much more <laughs> than you think. And uh, yeah. you know, just to understand. Uh, this is a path, uh, you know, that is uh, something that is potentially a good path for Optitune in the long run. Was there a, a key takeaway or a big learning that you took away from this program? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, my learning was that uh, this uh, Swiss stock exchange is actually, I think, a good place for uh, tech companies. Yeah. And uh, the second thing is actually that uh, uh, going public uh, can have advantages also with respect to recruiting for employees. So just to attract right. potentially good talent. Yeah, something that is really important to you as we learned right now. And what do you think you would gain from an IPO on, on SIX or uh, Sparks in general? Yes. Despite the attractiveness of new employees, would you also, of course, have access to capital, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, that's the obvious one yeah. <laughs> that uh, you get actually access uh, capital especially when you have growth projects that you you know maybe you want to finance uh, like this mm-hmm. um i think another thing is also trust from uh, big companies yeah. you know i mean at the moment uh, there is always a risk for some of our customers that uh, or maybe optitune will be acquired and uh, you know then uh, mm-hmm. they lose access to our component which is uh, key to oh, them and, and that uh, that could stop them from doing deals with you correct yes or and, uh, it, and not just yeah. could it does Wow. And, uh, yeah. you know, being public, this risk is less. Oh, that, that's a big one in your environment. Yeah, yes. definitely. Do you also see some cons when it comes to getting publicly listed? You said legal aspects, for example. Yes. I think, I mean, the legal aspects, I'm sure you can handle. I mean, right. uh, we are a company that does things right. So I'm not worried about this. Uh, I think it's uh, maybe more the mindset because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nowadays... We don't have to worry about, oh, what will the investors, the public investors think uh, when we go down this path or, you know, to investment in this. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, at the moment, we are investing almost 30% of our revenue in R&D. Wow. So it's, it's quite a lot yeah. and still we are profitable. So, uh, and, uh, you know, I think once you're public, you're more driven by numbers and, you know, people will judge you and uh, judge you actually also by your profitability. Mm-hmm. So... There is a risk maybe that you're losing uh, some of your innovation and drive and creativity because you're 
afraid of you know uh, what, how it will be judged. Yeah, that sounds like the the tough trade off, right, between the short term and the long term thinking. Correct. While public investors are usually more short-term driven and want to see profits and an yes. increase in share price, yes. while you as a founder of the company know exactly that maybe we lower the profits now a bit, but yes. we need to invest that to have a big success yes. seven years down the road, right? Correct, yes. yes. Yeah. Especially from uh, what I also learned is, uh, I mean, uh, with respect to communication of uh, what are your future plans, uh, I mean... Uh, it's challenging to communicate everything, I think, when you're public. Mm -hmm. So you only see that the results are getting worse. And then yeah. maybe as an investor in the company, then you don't know that, uh, you know, there's a big thing coming. Absolutely. So now you finish the program. What is next for you and Optotune? You know, after the program, do you prepare for an IPO or what do you do with the knowledge? I mean, uh, there is no concrete plan that we have. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the knowledge is uh, we know what we have to uh, prepare for uh, if you want to do these ones. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, just also from the financial point of view, you know, how to uh, have uh, the systems ready. Uh, but, um, you know, you will never be able to do an IPO if you're not successful. So sure. <laughs> so <laughs> what is next for Hoptatune is continue growing and uh, make sure, you know, that uh, we invest in the right projects and uh, we build, continue building up our company. And then if there's an opportunity, you might think about IPOing or maybe also not. It's not decided. Absolutely. Yes. It's an option. It's, it's an, an option, open. yes. Correct, yes. So to wrap up this conversation, Manuel, I also have some rapid fire questions for you. So I either give you a short question or different options to choose from and you have to answer in one sentence. Yes. You're ready? Yes. Researcher or entrepreneur? Both. Both together, <laughs> yeah. That's what you do today. Yes. Uh, coffee or tea? Tea. If you weren't working in the lens industry, what other problem would you be solving? Oh, you can call me after. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There are so many problems still, <laughs> still around. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Uh, you can ask my sleep tracker. Okay. What are the three main characteristics that you look for in engineers or any employee in general? I think first thing is uh, actually the positive mindset, yeah. the attitude uh, that they have, uh, that uh, they fit into the team, and then of course also that uh, you know they are capable. Right. Beer or wine? Uh, wine. And the last one: What do you wish you would do more often? Uh, go skiing with my family. Oh, that's I a good one. I hope it's coming soon. Yeah. The winter. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Manuel, thank you so much for sharing your impressive story. I wish you lots of luck and a lot of success for whatever you'll be tackling. And yes. thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.